I've been gone for a few weeks. Made a cross-country move, headed back to Colorado. A lot's been happening in our world. Exciting times, difficult times. And in response to the raising awareness and hopefully dismantling of systematic racism in our society and in our churches, I encourage you to go on our website and read Chris Hall's essay titled, We Have Refused to Listen. I'm currently working on putting together a number of conversations that we'll be releasing soon. Conversations to help us listen and to help us act. It's a joy to know that I can lean into Jesus' good leadership. I don't have to be the smartest or the most gifted, the most charismatic. I just need to say yes. Welcome to the Renovare Podcast, a place for honest conversations about interactive life with God. I'm Nathan Foster, and my guest today is Jill Weber. Nearly 20 years ago, Jill helped begin and steward the Greater Ontario House of Prayer, a 24-7 new monastic community in Canada. Today, Jill serves on the international leadership team of 24-7 Prayer and is the Director of Spiritual Formation at Emmaus Road Church in the UK. You may recognize her as one of the voices on the app Lexio 365. And she's written a book titled, Even the Sparrow, A Pilgrim's Guide to Prayer, Trust, and Following the Leader. I'm delighted to share with you a glimpse into the rich and beautiful life of a faithful follower of Jesus. I spoke with Jill from her home in Surrey, England. Jill, could you tell me about some of your passions? Ah. <sighs> Some of my passions. I love to see uh, people come alive in God's presence. And I love to be in a room full of people. And we're just holding space for each other. Or we're just chatting or we're just praying. And all of a sudden there becomes this sense that we've been joined by another. And that somehow mysteriously God is in the midst. And we're somehow mysteriously we're aware of it. <laughs> That's probably the miracle. And to see the room come alive and to see people's hearts come alive and then to see people come out of themselves and take risks and, and then to see the, the long-term fruit in their lives. That gives me a lot of life. I think creating space for encounter in whatever shape or form is something that gets me up in the morning. You said three words earlier in our conversation that caught my attention. Awareness, attention, and then this one I kind of wish you hadn't said, a holy <laughs> disruption. <laughs> yeah, I think this is, I mean, this is the journey for all of us, um, isn't it? I think we're, we, we go through our regular day-to-day -day lives and we're doing whatever it is we do. We're at home with the kids or we're on a train into London or, um, or for a walk in the woods and, and you know, we get these moments, these flashes where all of a sudden we become aware that there's something deeper going on rather than just what's in front of our nose and just what's in front of our face. We get these moments. Um, wasn't it, it was it Wordsworth who called them intimations of immortality, right? Just that flash. And, um, and you see it in the story of Moses, right? He's just 
he's just looking after sheep. He's just doing, and then all of a sudden he becomes aware that something unusual is happening in his circle of, of sight. There's a bush that's burning. And, um, and so something comes to his awareness and then he gives it his attention. He stops, he looks, he listens. So we become aware and then we, 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 we stop, we look, we listen, we become, there's this inquisitiveness, this curiosity. What's, what's going on? Is there something more than meets the eye happening in this space? Is, you know, am, am I perceiving the presence of God? Um, and he's, is he at work? And of course, so Moses, he becomes aware, he gives his attention, and then all of a sudden, bam, <laughs> there's this divine disruption, and it's the end of the world as he knows it, you know? And for me, um, I feel like that's been the story of my life, this, this delightful and terrifying journey of becoming awake and aware and, and learning to turn my attention to the presence and the activity of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in my life, and then holy disruption. You know, getting invited into a story larger than mine, uh, and and that's heading a much grander direction <laughs> and outcome than I would have ever dreamed for my own life. And um, yeah, I think that's the invitation for us, isn't it? To become aware, to give our attention, and to respond to divine disruption or interruption all the way through the scripture, right? This is the biblical story. Abraham gets interrupted. Gideon's hiding out and, and, and threshing somewhere where he thinks nobody can see him. And he gets interrupted. The disciples are just fishing and they get interrupted. There's this holy disruption. And um, so it's the biblical narrative, really. God is constantly interrupting and inviting us if we've got eyes to see. Do you think it's possible to be in such a place that a, a holy disruption is not really a disruption at all, but uh, um, a welcome shift, a welcome change? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, people like me, I, I love the disruption. I love the interruption. Um, and I, I think what's quite interesting and, and something that, that I've noticed in, in my years doing what I've been doing is, is seeing a lot of people. I'm, I'm turning 50 this year. And... Uh, so I've been, and I've been a Christian now for probably 30 some odd years. And, and what I'm noticing is there's a lot of people who've been on the journey with God and who have sort of really dug into their life in God. But what they're experiencing is the stuff that used to sort of work for them in terms of their connection with the presence of God no longer seems to work in the same way. And there, things become a little arid and dry and, and you feel like you're talking to the ceiling and, and I think many people in those seasons start feeling, oh no, what am I, I'm doing it wrong. You know, I've, I've somehow I've missed the boat or I've displeased God. And, and I think those oftentimes, and we call it the wilderness, <laughs> you know, the desert places. And those are often the times when the brook dries up and we just can't drink there anymore. And then God invites us into a new space. You know, and, and I think it helps. I think it's helpful for us to understand that that that's that's a well-worn path in the history of the church as people grow in prayer, and and so there is this uh, this thirst, this dryness, this there must be more to God than I'm experiencing right now. And then that with that comes hunger, and with hunger comes attentiveness, and with attentiveness comes receiving the invitation and, and being able to respond to a new phase a new work of God, a deepening uh, in, in our lives. There's a piece in this that, that I find really helpful, and, and that's the attention 
of, we I mean, we can have an, an awareness of something and then we don't need to give it our attention. I mean, we have a choice mm-hmm. of sorts, right? Like, couldn't mm-hmm. Moses have, oh, right, there's a fight. No, not doing that. <laughs> you know, well, and away, could you imagine? Thing. Imagine if Moses had an iPhone. Like, he would have never <laughs> noticed. <laughs> the history of the world would have changed. But you're right. We have this moment, right, where we can choose to stop and to look and to listen. The other piece I find helpful in this is, um, and I think what I'm hearing you're saying is framing the kind of longing or the dryness or the uh, discontent um, as as potentially a good thing, a leading, a precipice movement into something new. A precipice. <laughs> That's a pretty potent word. <laughs> did, I, did I use it wrong sometimes? I don't use words. <laughs> well, the precipice I think of, and I mean, it could be quite apt. You're sort of standing on the edge of the cliff looking over, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, into the chasm, or is there an invisible path for me to step on? I actually feel oftentimes people in midlife, it feels like they're on the precipice. Yeah. And they're looking out over and they're like, is there a path there? You know, or, or am I just going to just drop, you know, and, and, and so I think this pathway of exploring new modes of prayer, new ways of being with God can then sort of these stepping stones rise up for us to, to encounter him in, in new ways. Yes. I was, I, I define myself uh, when people ask sort of what part of the church are you from? I I say, I'm a Presby Anglo Baptist Catholic hostel. Yes, you (laughs) are. (laughs) I am. And so I, you know, I've, I've been a Christian for a long time and I've been on a journey in, in many streams of of the church and um and i it's been interesting for me to watch the journey so i i was you know a chandelier swinging tongue speaking pentecostal in toronto in the midst of the early 90s so it's it was as as charismatic as you could ever imagine and and got invited on a journey through this hunger and dryness onto a contemplative journey probably about eight years ago and uh, where the ways I was praying before just stopped working. And, uh, but, and I knew there was an invitation for me and began to explore solitude and silence and, um, uh, you know, looking at spending more time in retreat and, and starting to read. Uh, re- I realized that, that I needed to read books on prayer that were more than 100 years old <laughs> if, I, if I really was going to go on the kind of journey that my heart was longing for and it just took me on a journey and and so i've been on that journey for the last eight years you know i got a spiritual director and and uh and began to you know explore ignatian spirituality as a as a as a pentecostal you know evangelical person and just starting mining the riches of that tradition and um and then you know probably about four years in i looked over my shoulder and i just saw like a massive of evangelical Pentecostals on the journey, you know, as well. And, and so there's just many of us who, you know, we, we've had wings on, in our particular stream and we're hungry for the roots, the rootedness in ancient prayer traditions. Um, and so I think what's quite interesting is that charismatics and uh, contemplatives were both mystics. We both believe there's an unseen reality that we can tap into. And so it's just been a, a fascinating trend in the church in North America. And, and I'm now seeing it in the UK as well of people who, who are, are uh, allowing themselves to be interrupted and taken on a, on a new journey. And so things like in the Pentecostal church in Canada, 
you know, saying, well, probably our Pentecostal pastors should have spiritual directors. I mean, 10 years ago, that would have never been ever something, you know, to be considered. And, and so it's fascinating. I, and I think part of it is, is due to the work that Renovare has been doing. And some of the seminal work, of course, that, that your father and Dallas Willard did in terms of laying theological and philosophical bed tracks that created a bridge for those of us in, in our tradition to begin to grow and understand the contemplative tradition and the riches that it had to offer us. So, yeah, so that's been the kind of disruption for me and, and for many, many, many others that I'm meeting along the way. At this juncture in your journey, what have been some of the gifts that you received from the Pentecostal charismatic years? A sense of uh, imminence. Back in my Baptist days, we had a sense of transcendence of God, you know, high and lifted up, you know, holy in his temple. And, and, and the charismatic stream gave me the gift of, of imminence. God is here now with me. I can actually sense, physically sense the presence and the activity of God in my life and my in, in the very core and essence of who I was. The other gift of the charismatic stream for me was the conviction that, that God speaks today and that, that I can hear his voice. And, um, and so exploring, you know, in the, in the charismatic tradition of the gifts of prophecy and words of knowledge and sort of, you know, some of that. And, and, Fortunately, the, the charismatic streams that I was in were, were really grounded in the scriptures as well. So we had this beautiful weaving of word and spirit and word and spirit all the way through, which was really enriching for me. But, but an actual conviction that's like, actually, you know what? I, I can have conversations with God and I, I can talk and I can listen and I can hear. And so, I mean, you, you carry that with humility and, and, um, uh, and and, and uh, you don't sort of thus saith the Lord unto people, but but you do, you know. I I do really believe that that um, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. And the other gift I think of the charismatic stream for me has given me this hunger. Jesus said, "I do only what I see my Father doing." Right, and I'm like, oh, what is this way of seeing? <laughs> right. <laughs> How did, he, how did he do that? How did he live into that? You know, if, if he's modeling to us what it looks like to be fully, freely human, living in communion with his father, surely there's a way to see what the father's doing. And so I think that that um, the gifts of the charismatic stream for me has been the eyes to look and to see perhaps what the father is doing. So mm-hmm. just reminded me of something that I don't think I've ever heard anyone say when they reference um, my dad or Dallas, and that is the influence of the charismatic tradition. And as I kind of look back on on my father's life, uh, Quaker, Quakers are very charismatic, not in the traditional you know sense, but, um, and then he had all this time in the vineyard. And then uh, I never asked Dallas about it, but he was at a vineyard church there in California. Yeah. But I think that the idea of kind of the holistic view of Christianity and holding all these wonderful traditions together, not being, you know, uh, being willing to, to take a dip at each one and, and learn. It's helpful. Very helpful. Mm-hmm. I get the sense that your life has had a number of points of awareness, attention, and holy disruption. <laughs> do, do you have a story that you'd be willing to share with us? Yeah, for sure. I... um 
I was in the Vineyard Church uh, many years ago, probably over 20 years ago. was trained uh, in the Vineyard uh, for about six years as a church planter. And so was was ready. I'd been apprenticed in my home congregation and was ready to launch out and to start my first Vineyard Church plant. And uh, and I got interrupted one day when uh, a group from a prayer community, they call themselves a house of prayer, came to visit our city. And uh, I didn't know that there was such a thing called the prayer movement. I didn't know that there were sort of new monastic type expressions. Uh, in the charismatic stream, they would call them houses of prayer. And, and um, but, but I didn't know there was this kind of community. And, and, and I remember going to this meeting and watching people take worship and prayer and kind of mash it all up together, which is really quite an ancient tradition, but they were doing it in more of a modern way and, and watching people pray scripture and sing scripture. And literally I had this moment, everything in my whole body just began to resonate. Everything in me just came alive. And I had this, this, this just, it just dropped in my spirit. My spiritual director says it thunked. <laughs> Someone just thunks right <laughs> down inside of you. And I thought, I don't know what this is, but I know I'm created for it. I know I'm created for it. And so long story short, I found myself a couple of years later uh, leading a, a house of prayer, a new monastic expression in one of the poorer postal codes in, in Hamilton, Canada. And, and really, I would just call it the, the great experiment, just gathering a collective of people and saying, why don't we try some things together? What would it look like for us to create um, a prayer space that's accessible to the, the urban poor? What would it look like actually for us to move into that neighborhood and create a prayer space right in the red light district and uh, have a coffee shop and, and just be not as service providers, not as, but just the loving presence of the people of prayer. What would it look like for us to incarnate the presence of Jesus in that neighborhood together? And we just gathered friends and uh, fellow co-conspirators from churches across the city and, and gave that a go. And they're still doing it now. Um, I've, I've now moved from that city. I'm, I'm in England now, but uh, 17 years of just playful, prayerful exploration and just trying to create, really just trying to create space for God and then seeing how God would want to fill that space, what kind of invitation uh, would come our way. And uh, it just took us on this um, quite extraordinary journey uh, of, of a lifestyle that's shaped around prayer and mission and justice. But it started with that interruption, that moment. It's dangerous to go to prayer meetings. Just for all of you that have been invited to go to a prayer meeting, don't do it. It's dangerous. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. And uh, But yeah, I just, the problem with these dangerous prayers, you're like, Lord, take my life, you know? And uh, and he's like, right, I'll take it. Careful like, what you oh, ask no, no, for. No, wait a minute. I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> Secondly, I was quite happy in Canada. Uh, we built this little prayer community and we were, you know, helping people pray and helping churches pray more and helping churches pray together. And I loved my city. We just really dug down deep into the heart of it. And then all of a sudden I got this interruption, this invitation to leave everything that I had labored for uh, for so long and to, to start fresh in England to help other people go on similar type journeys. And when I was first asked, I actually said, no, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no, thanks very much. But then I made the mistake of going to another prayer meeting. And in a prayer meeting, I had an encounter with the Lord and he was like, yeah, actually you're going. <laughs> and, uh, and that's begun a whole other pioneering again at 50 
just beginning again, again. But it's a joy to know that I can lean into Jesus' good leadership. I don't have to be the smartest one in the room and the most gifted or whatever. I just need to say yes. Say that again. I don't have to be the smartest or the most gifted, the most charismatic. I just need to say yes. There you go. Yeah. house in Toronto, if I was in the neighborhood in those years, and I walked to the door, what would I find? You'd walk into a social enterprise cafe to start with. It was in partnership with another organization. And you would see, if you walked in at seven in the morning, you would see all of our regulars who were guys who lived in rooming houses, single residence occupancy, were getting their first meal of the day that they wouldn't be able to have at home. And everybody knew everybody. And we all, you know, there's just great kibbutzing and natter and chatter as you go through. And and then you'd go, you'd go through a door that looked like it was going into a broom closet, but you go down the stairs into this little basement, which would create this little sanctuary in the basement of this little cafe. And, and on all the walls, there'd be different little prayer activities, different ways to help people pray. Because our house of prayer, a lot of the times in prayer communities, you, you know, you gather people who are kind of good at prayer. We loved gathering people who weren't good at prayer and who were like, I don't know how to pray. And we're like, great, we'll just create a prayer classroom so that you can explore and experiment and try new things. And so, so we would sort of create this little like a kindergarten class of, of way, different ways to pray, which worked really well for our friends in our neighborhood, right? Made prayer really accessible and easy and mostly very creative, artistic ways. Um, and then we'd have a circle. And depending on the time of day, if you go down into that prayer space, we just, we had gathered this collective from the broad, broadly ecumenical community in our city. And so it could be, we had one prayer leader, he could shake the walls. With his <laughs> prayers. And then another time we had a, a bunch of sort of middle-aged ladies singing Taze songs, you know, and another time we had a, a Holy Spirit guy who just sort of, you know, try to see where the wind was blowing. And then he would just sing spontaneously for an hour, you know, so they're just all kinds of, prayer all kinds of ways and it just became this little prayer learning laboratory and and that's that's what that space looked like so that was one heart of our community the other heart of our community was our home so we had a community house we invited people to to live together and say what would it look like for us to live with rhythms of prayer and, and actual hospitality and so if it came to our house the second you know heart of this community was the table and so we would have community dinner one night a week um, in a community where people would normally get invited to a uh, soup kitchen, uh, but here we had a family table uh, where we got to eat together, um, which was messy and complicated, but a sign of the kingdom, exquisitely beautiful at the same time as we broke bread together and just drew a wider circle around what we thought family could be. Um, so that's a little bit of what it looked like. Can you tell I miss it? I, I can. <laughs> yeah. I can. And, it, you know, I think of different seasons in life. And that sounds like a season where you're very, maybe exposed isn't the word, but available and really engaged with lots of people daily. Yeah. And, and I think that's, it's part of just being, being available for interruption, because oftentimes when the Lord interrupts you, he looks like your neighbor. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, yeah. There it or, is. He, or he looks like the guy down the street or, you know, and so, 
it's being open to those kinds of interruptions and those invitations and how Jesus wants to show himself to you. That's good. What does your prayer life look like these days? <laughs> well, I, I always hesitate to answer that because, let me just think about this for a second. I'm an early riser. So I tease my charismatic friends and I say, early bird gets the anointing. So <laughs> I'm usually up before dawn and, um, uh, and I have a, you know, a devotional thing that I, I spend some time in before I go out the door. But I, I'm really fortunate in that I, I live in Surrey in the UK, which is unrelentingly beautiful. And so um, I, I step out my door into the most incredible woods and fields, and I just go for a long walk with the Lord. And I usually bring a question for discernment. I have a lot of responsibility in my present job and lots of things that are really my life is far too big for me. And so I, I have to go into that walk every morning saying, okay, now what? <laughs> And, uh, and that's usually my question. And I just spend an hour and a half on the walk and I mostly listen. Uh, usually there's there's a little song that rolling in my head. And my, my theory is that if, if the Holy Spirit lives in me and the Holy Spirit is in constant communion with the Father and the Son, when I wake up with a song, maybe God was singing to God when I was sleeping and I get to sing along. And so I'll, I'll just let that roll around. Or I've cultivated different breath prayers to carry through my day with me. Um, my favorite one is um, Come Lord Jesus. It's a prayer of invocation. It's a prayer of intercession. Um, and so I carry that with me through the day. And then because I'm part of a I'm part of a religious order and so we have set times of prayer. And so I have set uh, prayer meetings at various times during the day where I'm praying with other people as well. And so that's just part of my particular vocation and my lifestyle. On these morning walks, I would imagine sometimes it's wonderful and sometimes it's maybe boring, dry. How do you react to that? I think I'm not sure that I would say boring or dry. I think sometimes cluttered. I think for me, the, the barrier is um, my own spinning brain. And, um, and so the, the thing that I find the biggest challenge is just getting over and beyond myself so that I can settle my heart in the presence of God and, um, and to just be with him in that moment, in that place there. And then, and, um, yeah. And so sometimes I say, well, I'm just co-creating with God. We're just scheming stuff up together. And I'm like, no, nah, you're just not settling down to listen. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the biggest barrier really is not even the, the dryness, but my own mental activity. And that's where the breath prayers can really help sort of bring me back to a place of quiet. Um, and, and in particular, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying just taking little portions of scripture and just mulling it over. It's been interesting for me as growing up in, you know, this Pentecostal and then evangelical tradition. Of course, we, we respect and, and honor the word, but, but learning how to praise scripture and learning how to look for the living word you know, to, to sort of leap off the page as I'm, I'm musing on the written word has just made scripture come so alive for me and so deeply personal and so impacting my heart. I just, I get weepy. I'm like, what are you doing? You're just like, I'm like, but it's so beautiful. And, you know, I never thought that about scripture 20 years ago. 
Um, but I just find just as we, as we meditate on the scripture and as we kind of let it linger in our heart and mind and just kind of mull it over and it just gets sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. Tell us about Lexia. Three six five. Yeah. Again, I, I work with twenty four seven prayer, and and so we part of our uh, we're an international organization that 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 sort of tries to catalyze and uh, prayer and and to support people in their prayer lives. And so we decided a few years ago that we wanted to create a little app to um, help people pray the Bible and to allow Scripture to shape our lives. And so we. Yeah, we just started writing. And, and I, I love the fact that I get to meditate on scripture as part of my job. <laughs> so great. So what I do actually with the, with the Lectio is whatever scripture I, I write content for it. And then I also, you know, I'll, I'm one of the hosts on the app. And so I'll be reading and, and, um, but, but probably about a month before I actually write into a piece, I take that scripture from my own personal meditation, my own personal encounter and just live in it for a while myself, not to try and utilize it for any purpose other than just being with God in it. Um, yeah. So we, we've got this little app and that we've rolled out and it, it seems to have caught on. Um, it's just 10 minutes. It's just very simple. Really, we're inviting people on the contemplative journey who that might be new for them. And so we're utilizing, you know, a bit of Lectio Divina and just like multiple slow reading of scripture. What's it saying? What's it saying to me? What, how would God be inviting me to respond? And sometimes even in some of the passage, inviting people in their imagination to enter into the story. Who am I in this story? What am I experiencing as I sort of plant myself in a gospel story? And um, yeah, so just been really trying to accompany people on their on their soul journey in some small way and it's such a privilege we get we're just overwhelmed by the the impact that we get of people just it's funny just a simple little thing like a simple little podcast and uh, i was thinking nathan of of some of the podcasts that you've done and, and the meditations that you've done and how impacting that's been for me and in particular and many I know is you've just sort of mulled over, you know, some scripture or story and invite us, us into that mulling with you. I think it's a powerful space. I think that creates space for encounter and God enters into that space, particularly as we're meditating on scripture, it comes alive, transforms our hearts. Yeah. So that's Lectio 365. It's interesting because when you were talking about House of Prayer in, in Toronto and, and I've you know, internally, I'm thinking, oh, those wonderful days when we could all, you know, gather freely in 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 ways like we used to. But it fits because what you're doing now is is very accessible to all of us, particularly for those who are quarantined or isolated. The technology has done wonderful things to to remove barriers. As as I mentioned, I'm part of a little religious order, and and um, COVID was the best thing that happened to us. <laughs> Yeah. Because what we did was we started fixed hour prayer on Zoom. And so where we had sort of lists of our members in our community, because we're dispersed, we're all over the world, you know, and we didn't, we, so we don't get to know people, but all of a sudden we're invited. We all get sort of locked in our rooms per se, 
in COVID. And it's like, okay, so where's the window out? How do we connect with people? And we just started praying together on Zoom and and uh, multiple times a day, just in prayer with members of our community. And, and, and any call, we'd be with people of four, four different continents all praying together. And so I think, I think Zoom is, um, and, and the technology that's available to us to connect digitally. I mean, there's lots that we can say about the, the ill effects of, of technology. But right now, we can create windows into one another's worlds, and we can actually cultivate spaces of encounter in this digital space. And we've seen it. We've absolutely, utterly seen uh, the presence and the activity of God in the digital space right. over these last months since we've taken everything online. And it's been beautiful to be a part of. Yeah, yeah. Will you tell us about your book? You know, it's funny, as, as I was transitioning out of my community in Canada to, to move to the UK, I, I just began to do some writing to help me process my own transition. I wanted to reflect on the previous 18 years, and particularly through the eyes of where had I seen God at work? Where, how has he interrupted? How has he invited me on the journey? What's, what's that looked like for me? And so initially, I was doing that just to create sort of a something to pass on to the next generation of leaders of our community but it kind of grew into this this larger work of 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 my story and my exploration of of me essentially just playing follow the leader (laughs) right i still don't know what i'm doing you know i've been in ministry now since i was 19 and so it's a lot of years and i still i'm just getting up i once heard a ywam leader say he gets up in the morning out of bed like a little child and I thought, yeah, you know what? I want to live like that. I want to get out of bed every morning and kind of look to heaven and say, all right, so now what? <laughs> <laughs> and just have a listen. And, and, but with my heart preset to yes, willing to do whatever. And, um, and so that, this is the book of that journey and, and how God then gathered a community around us and how we lived into that in the context of this um, poor community in Canada and, and what it looked like for us, even the transition then into the UK. And, it's an articulation of my desire to help people to cultivate an awareness of the presence and the activity of God. And then to go from awareness to paying attention, right? I've noticed, okay, what have I noticed? What's the, you know, having that curiosity and then creating space for divine disruption. There it is. <laughs> so there it is. There it is. So it is a dangerous book to read, read at your own risk. <laughs> Only if you're ready to be disrupted. Uh, you said a line that I just I just love. My heart preset to yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, how can we say no? I don't belong to myself anymore. You know, I was bought with a price, and I belong to Him. You know, people have said, "Oh, you've been like a prayer missionary, sort of like a Protestant sort of monk for almost twenty years now." They say, "Oh, that must be boring," and I'm like. Oh, no, no, no. It has never been boring. Sometimes it's been like so hard. And, uh, but really, it's a pathway of life and a pathway of joy to say, okay, God, what are you up to? I'm in whatever it is. And it's taken me on all kinds of unexpected heart journeys and physical journeys. And I've met all sorts of fascinating and complicated and beautiful companions on the way. I couldn't imagine living any other way. What I like about this posture is it it doesn't leave room for our agendas. Not that our agendas are always bad. 
in our goals or whatnot, but it, if my heart is preset to yes, then I'm holding very loosely, getting to have my own way or whatever achievement I'm enslaved to in that season. It's learning to live lightly, isn't it? And then, and then we get helped by people like your father who writes these crazy prayers of relinquishment that we all make the mistake of praying. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Warning label. Yes. <laughs> so, so just living in that of like, God, what are you doing? I want to see what you're doing. You know what? My life is too short. I am for, for Jill-sized things. I'm not interested in Jill-sized things. I want to see God-sized things which means I have to let go of the Jill size things and, and, and live with my heart and my hands and my eyes open. If I want to see the immeasurably more than I could ever ask or think. Jill, as we close one, this is really special. Thank you for, for the time. I wonder if you might have a, a word for us or a prayer. I'd love to pray. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, Lord, I'm, I remember your gentle exhortation to us, don't be afraid, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I'm going to think of this, this place, this kingdom that's righteousness and peace and joy in your spirit. Lord, we thank you for the gift of a way to be alive and awake to your presence. So, Lord, I just pray for all of us that you would help us, help us to be aware, help us to notice when you whisper or when you flit on the edge of our vision, help us to be aware. And then, Lord, I ask that you would give us holy curiosity and hunger and to put salt on our lips, that we would move from awareness to just giving our attention to you. And then, Lord, I do pray for interruption, for divine disruption. Because, Lord, we do pray that dangerous prayer every day. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want that, God. So we just create space. We make room. And we lean into your good leadership today. Jesus' name. Amen. That was Jill Weber. Again, Jill's book is titled Even the Sparrow, A Pilgrim's Guide to Prayer, Trust, and Following the Leader. You can find out more about Jill, her book, and her podcast for the Order of the Mustard Seed on her website, jillweber.com. And if you haven't already, you'll want to download the app Lexio 365. This is a really helpful daily resource, and Jill does a wonderful job leading some of the meditations. Renovari is a Christian ecumenical renewal effort, which offers resources and experiences to help people become more like Jesus. You can find articles and other resources at our website, renovare.org. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast. We love hearing your questions and thoughts. Email at renovare.org or tweet at renovare. This podcast is produced by Brian Morcon, who also wrote the opening song titled Be Kind. Other music's by Lee Rosevere. And I'm Nathan Foster, and you've been listening to the Renovare Podcast.